Mark chapter 1, and today we pick it up in verse 16. Speaking of the life of Christ, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. We continue our study in the life of Christ, and today we're going to see just the Lord, like, Revealing himself, you know. Um, I'll tell you what. Uh, God, when he made you, God, when he, the Bible says in Psalm 139, knit you together in your mother's womb. He put you together with a certain DNA, with a certain environmental, cultural upbringing, with a certain mentality and psychology and life. And I want you to be born here and I want you to be born during this time for such a time as this. I... I really believe with all my heart that every single person has a mission in life. You know, and so when we see here the Lord calling the fishermen, you know, uh, to become fishers of men, it's kind of cool because it's true for all of us, you guys. We're all called to be fishers of men. Uh, We're all called to pull people out of the flames of hell. We're all called to uh, help people uh, be set free from your porn addiction or your drug addiction or your alcohol or, you know, your anger or your pride or your, you know, your lust for for money or materialism or possessions or ambitions that are wrong or relations that are wrong. Just, man, the Lord wants to use us. Think about that. Do you become fishers of men? You know, and that, I don't know if that excites you or not, but that really, it man, it just, it gets me going. It gets me out of bed in the morning. This is my master passion in life. I, I just thank God that I, I know him, and I get this amazing privilege to serve him. That there was a time when I was doing my own thing. There was a time when I was over here, and perhaps there was a season for you know, certain things of our life, but then the day comes in our life when he calls us to become fishers of men, and he said, I'll, I'll make you, I'll, I'll train you, I'll, I'll prepare you, I'll equip you. All you got to do is follow me. And, and here were these guys were, and that's exactly what happened. And Andrew and Peter and uh, James and John, they just left everything, right? And they followed the Lord. You know, here we see uh, they would eventually become some of his closest followers. Uh, We call them the A-team. stands for apostles, okay? And, uh, man, Jesus would teach them personally. How awesome is that? He would train them. These were the guys he would choose to use to spread the gospel all around the world. And the way that he would do that, train them, is just for them to be with Christ. You know, we read later in Mark 3, 14, it says he appointed 12 that they might be with him. That's the most important part. That they might be with him, a relationship. This is not a religion. This is a a relationship with Christ. He is here. He is here. It's us pointing to him. 
in which you walk with him and you talk with him and he reveals himself to you in his word and he comforts you and carries you through life. It's Jesus. It really is. And, and as you're with him, then the Lord does, does the work in your life. Uh, you know, the mission that you were made for. Now, the, the thing about it, as you study the Gospels, is this wasn't the first time that they had heard Jesus or um, seen him or even heard the calling. Uh, we read through the Gospels, uh, there were multiple times where the Lord was calling them and, you know, then they kind of went back and then he called them again and they went back and this wouldn't even be the last time. In Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, he would call them one final time and that would be the time when they would finally and forever drop those nets, except for one little pause, and, and they would finally, though, drop the nets and come and follow Christ. I tell you what, man, to me, that's exciting, that's encouraging because you want to know something? God doesn't give up on you. You know, if it were me, I would have given up on you a long time ago. I'm sorry, man. You know, three strikes and you're out, right? The Lord's like 33,000 strikes and I'm still working on you, you know? But maybe today is a day. Maybe, you know, that was what was going on here with these guys. He doesn't give up on us. And I'm so blessed by that. He doesn't give up on us. And I'm also blessed by this. I don't know if you guys think about this, but... I mean, think about it. He's calling fishermen to change the world. I mean, most of us here would call like the most educated, intellectual movers and shakers of the world. If I was kind of like starting this whole thing, I'd probably go down to the University of Jerusalem, you know, and get some of those guys with that type of divine degree and divinity and say, hey, I need you guys. But what does the Lord do? He chooses the blue-collar workers of the day because what we find, you guys, is God can use the white-collar, the blue-collar, with or without degree, as a matter of fact, I think he even seems to lean more towards the men who wouldn't be all that respected in the religious community. I mean, again, it, to us, it's kind of puzzling, but, you know, later he would call Paul, who was educated, because the bottom line is this. we got to know this. God can use anyone who would be willing to follow him. Maybe it's you. Maybe today will be the day where you hear his voice and he's just calling you into a new life away from the fishing, away from that stuff where maybe it's fun or maybe it's where you're making a lot of money. I mean, I know here, um, we know for sure, James and John, they had a lucrative business. It was a future that was set financially because they even had hired servants. But, the, you know, eventually you're going to have to make that, that, that choice. You can't serve God and mammon. Eventually, you're going to be tested on whether or not you really love God more than anyone or anything else. You're going to be tested. So many people fail that test when God himself is placing a calling on your life. Man, I encourage you, be so careful that you don't say no to Jesus. Because these guys right here, man, their names are going to be written in heaven. You know, the, the names of the apostles... Man, how God would use them to change the world. He would make them. You know, he can use anybody. You know, he can use a fisherman. It's interesting, more than likely, seven of the 12 apostles were fishermen. Uh, we know for sure four will, were. We see that here. And then later in John 21, 1 through 3, uh, when Peter went back to go fishing, seven of, seven of them followed him. Not all 12 or not all 11 but seven did so a lot of people believe that seven of the 12 were actually 
fishermen. Any of you guys here fishermen? Just out of curiosity? It's kind of cool fishing, huh? Well, what are the qualities of fishermen that are impressive? I mean, they say that, a, what, a bad day fishing is better than a good day working. Is that true? I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know there's something about fishermen that's kind of cool. Warren Wiersbe said, surely the good qualities of successful fishermen would make for success in the difficulties of ministry, in the difficulties of winning lost souls. Uh, they needed the ability to work together, patience, energy, stamina, tenacity. He said professional fishermen simply could not afford to be quitters. That's a minister. And that's probably part of the reason why he called fishermen. Another thing is that they were teachable. They weren't guys that said, hey, I know it all. No, they were open. Hey, Jesus, will you teach me? We need that. Here are these four men left their nets, James and John, even left their father and their fine financial future, and they followed Christ. You know, what about you, man? What's God calling you to? I would pray that God would raise up pastors. God would raise up leaders. God would raise up servants. God would raise up missionaries. God would raise up evangelists. God would raise up people to teach the children, to teach the youth. What about you? What's God calling you to do in life? I'll be the first to admit that when I went to college before I was a Christian, I just said I wanted to make money. And then the Lord just taught me, he said, no, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you. I tell you what, you put the Lord first and you watch what an awesome life God will give you. That's what these guys ended up doing. They left their nets. They left everything. I mean, and think about it, God is calling you, God is calling me. Don't you consider that an honor? Some people look at ministry and they see it as a burden. No, my friend, my brother, it's a blessing. I don't got to do ministry, I get to do ministry. You know, Josephus tells us that on any given day in the Sea of Galilee, there would be 330 boats that were fishing, hundreds of fishermen. And yet Jesus chose them. What about you? I pray that you would see it is a blessing to serve the Lord. And he has called you. He has called you into the ministry. You see Jesus, first of all, calling his apostles. Secondly, we see Jesus teaching the people. Look at verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And you guys, just use your imagination for a second, or, or I don't know, try to think that one through. Can you even begin to imagine what an awesome teacher Jesus must have been? I mean, just, I think about that, and I'm like, wow, Lord, I can't wait to hear you teach one day in heaven. Or who knows, like I said, maybe in heaven we'll be able to get the whole CD series, you know, what Jesus taught while he was on earth and just sit there and listen. I mean, I mean, seriously, how exciting, how amazing that must have been to hear him teach. You know, in the Jewish life, they had one temple. And there they worshipped and they offered up their sacrifices but historians tell us that really the most influential place for them was the synagogue, the local synagogue. And 
There were synagogues all around the world and in any city, wherever there were at least 10 Jews, they could build a synagogue and they would get together on the Sabbath, they would get together on Mondays, they would get together on Thursdays, they would spend time in prayer, they would collect alms for the poor, they would read the scriptures and then there would be a time of exposition, of teaching the scriptures. That was the simplicity of that. There was no permanent uh, teacher in the synagogue, there was a synagogue ruler who each time would call upon any rabbi that was present to share the word. And so, interesting thing, you didn't even have to have a degree to be a rabbi. All you had to do was to be competent in the scriptures. Beautiful, beautiful example of how we see different people teaching. Some of them have degrees, some don't. But as they're there, it presents, it presents a great opportunity for Jesus just to go into the synagogue and, and to teach, right? And so, when he was there, uh, they, uh, they heard him teach, and they were just astonished, it says there in verse 22, at his teaching. He was an amazing teacher. We read this uh, over and over again, the reaction to his teaching is they were astonished. We read in Matthew 7, 28, after the Sermon on the Mount, and so it was when Jesus had did these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. As a matter of fact, it's a really cool story in John chapter 7 when the religious leaders sent someone to arrest Jesus. Now, if you can visualize it in modern day terms, they had a warrant for his arrest, okay? So they go to his house or they go to where he's at and he happens to be preaching and teaching on that day. And so they come back and they don't have Jesus in handcuffs. And so the religious leaders are wondering, why? What happened? What's up? How come you don't have Jesus? We, we sent you to arrest him. And you know what they said? They said, no man ever spoke like this man. I mean, they were just astonished at his teaching, right? And the reason they were astonished, it says there in verse 22, because Jesus taught them as one having authority. You know, they had never heard that before. They had never heard that type of teaching. There was not a teacher like Jesus. That's why he even said, don't let anyone ever be called teacher. There's one who's your teacher. That's Jesus. It's amazing when you see the way that he taught. As a matter of fact, when you read uh, the scriptures, uh, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard it said of old, like you guys have always heard it said this way, but I say to you. And then when he would share, he would share something different with authority, the truth, I call it from the top. And as he shared the truth, the people, it would resonate with them. And they would say, yes, this makes sense to my spirit. And they were astonished at his authority. You guys have heard it said of old, boom, boom, boom. But I say to you. And the Lord did it in just time and time again. He taught with authority. In those days, what they would do is they would teach from the authorities. In other words, they would just quote the other rabbis. But Jesus taught not from the authorities, but with the authority of Almighty God. And so it was just completely different when Jesus taught. You know, when, when we look at the, at the Gospel of Mark, and last week I was sharing with you guys really what the goal is, is just, um, just to see him. I mean, I don't know if you can see him. There's only one. There's only one. There is only one who can call you into the ministry and appoint you and anoint you and choose you and use you. There's only one. There is only one who can tell you your mission in life. And there's only one who can teach like this. He's our teacher. He's our ultimate teacher. Sometimes men are vessels, but they are never the ones to reach the heart. 
Only Jesus can do that. And then look what we read next. It says in verse 23, Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Have you guys ever heard like the dramatized versions of the New Testament? The demon voice right here? I won't do a demon voice because I, I just don't think that's really a, a good thing to do. But man, you can hear the demon speaking, right? Just freaking out. I mean, there's a guy in the synagogue. Who knows how many times he's been there? Maybe he comes every week and the guy is possessed by demons. Think about that. So the day that Jesus comes in, he can't help himself. He just freaks out. And he identifies who Christ is. And so in verse 25, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet. Come out of him. Real simple, huh? And then they were all amazed. And so that they questioned among themselves, saying, Whoa, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. You know, it's a little hard to imagine. Like, I don't know, even in, in this building, I, I don't think, but you never know. There might be somebody struggling with these types of things. Of course, we know a Christian can't be possessed, but a Christian can be oppressed. A Christian can be harassed by demons. I think sometimes even Christians find themselves struggling. They have no peace, no joy, no love, no victory. They are sunk in depression that is brought about, brought about, about by, by demons. Uh, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so it's hard to imagine, but that happens even in churches, local congregations. And, and it's hard to imagine even this, that the unclean spirits at one time they saw the face of God. Think about that for a second, you know? I mean, they were actually at one time in heaven. That's how they knew who Jesus was, right? They were horrified. They were terrified. The Holy One, Majesty, God, Almighty, He's here. They were freaking out, right? I mean, because we know, we read about the fall of Lucifer in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 when the devil fell from heaven. He at one time was an archangel. When he fell, a third of the angels fell with him according to Revelation 12, verse 4 and 9. And so these fallen angels are now known as the devil and his demons cast out of heaven. And they're on their way to hell, but on their way to hell, they're making a pit stop on planet Earth. They're trying to take as many people with them as they can. You do drugs... You open doors to demons. You start drinking. You watch porn. You watch how that gets its claws inside of you. Those are, those are doors that we open into demons. I mean, you get your fortune told or told or whatever. You know, I remember even I wanted to get my palm read at one time before I was a Christian. And, you know, I was taught all kinds of stuff. Astrology. There are many evil entrances that we can allow the enemy in. And there's a lot of people here, and I know, I know it, man. I could, just, I could almost just talk to them for a minute and say, you are bound by demons. And it's hard because, you know, what do you do at that point? What do you do? I mean, you need, you need the power of Jesus Christ over your life. 
You need that power. Just like you open doors to demons, you got to open doors to Jesus. You have to let Jesus come into your life. He knocks on the door, but there's only a doorknob on the inside. you got to let Jesus in, otherwise they will have their way. They'll have a filled day with you. You know, looking at this right here, we see Jesus' power over demons. I mean, they know who he is. Uh, These demons are in this battle for our souls. And in this man right here, it wasn't just one. It was a multiple. It was a plurality of demons within him. They knew who Jesus was in his humanity. They call him Jesus of Nazareth. They knew that. And they knew him in his deity. Notice they call him the Holy One of God. And that right there is in reference to the fact that Jesus is God. If you read Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, it says, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. There's only holy, there's only one holy one. And so right here, when the demon calls him the Holy One, he's talking about God. I know who you are, you're God. And he was just freaking out. Now, Jesus didn't want the demons to be his heralds. And we know that his formal day of presentation wouldn't happen until Palm Sunday. And so he tells them to be quiet. And he commands the demon to come out of him. And the demon has no choice but to bow down and to bow out. And so the people were amazed. They were amazed at this, astonished, frightened, terrified. The Greek word, it literally means to to render immovable. And it's here that I just want to pause for a moment and just uh, and just ask that you would please see who Jesus is. He is the one able and willing to use anyone who would follow him, even fishermen. Look who Jesus is. He's the, the most amazing teacher ever. They say if God were ever to become a man, he would speak the greatest words ever spoken. Jesus. Last week we saw him defeating the devil himself. Here we see him defeating the demons, right? This is who Jesus is. I don't know about you, but I know I need him. You know, if you came here today looking for anyone else, then you have come here for the wrong reason. You need to walk through those doors looking for Jesus. He is here to meet with you. He is here to strengthen you. He is here to call you. He is here to cast those demons out. He is here to set you free from the bondage, those thick chains of oppression and harassment that have been holding you down and set you free. I've seen it happen. You know, I'm not like Mr. Exorcist or anything. Believe you me, man, but... We have been involved in in casting out demons, and there are some where you're not sure whether that was real or not, but there are some where you know it, and you see it over time, this was real. This was real. This, and God just, he validates it, and it's not me. I, I mean, I have to admit, there was a time where I wanted to be the demon buster. I wanted to do that. You know how they have Ghostbusters? So I was like, demon buster, man. I wanted to be that. Oh, yeah, you know what? I can get all that power, you know, and I'll start fasting. And there is a, there is a place for that. You know, you got a demon, just call me, man. I'll be there, right? There are some people like that. No, no. Point him to Jesus. You know, like, 
The devil comes knocking at your door. You say, Jesus, can you open that, please? <laughs> I'm telling you guys, man, and, and that he will never fail. He is so strong. But you have to come to the Lord. You know, we need this today. We need this in our world. We need this for our children. We need this for our grandchildren. We need this for our nation. You know, the Bible says in 1 John 5.19 that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world. Think about that. The whole world is lying under the sway, the spell of the wicked one. And the Bible says in Ephesians 6, 11 and 12 that we are to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I don't know if you've ever wrestled but you know what wrestling is. I mean, we're talking one-on-one -on -one intense battle. We don't wrestle against people. You know, it's not your wife. You're like, Manny, but she's all messed up. No, it's not your wife. It's not your husband. It's not your kids. It's not. Because what we do is we wrestle with our wife, and we wrestle with our husband, and we wrestle with our children. And God says, you stop, stop wrestling with them. Stop wrestling with your boss. Stop wrestling with that person who's coming against you. And start wrestling with demons. How do you do that? you got to have spiritual weapons. The weapons of our warfare, the Bible says, are not carnal in God, but they're mighty in pulling down strongholds. It's time for you and I to get on our face, to get on our knees. It's time for us to, as the Lord would lead you, and please, and I've just been asking God, Lord, I've been praying for months on how he wants me to fast. I've been praying every day, Lord, show me how you want me to fast. And you know, he'll tell me, and little things he starts revealing to me. This kind doesn't come out except through prayer and fasting. Some people don't like fasting. They're like, I get a headache when I don't eat, you know. Give me a break. You know, fast your phone every once in a while, man. I know you might, you know, like, you know, go into convulsions and stuff. I can't live a day without my phone. Try it, you know. But, I mean, I don't know about you, but I can sense the need. The other day, it was so strong for, for me. It was so strong that, you know, the enemy... And, and it was a Friday, and I was here, and the doors were open, and a guy came in, a young man came in, and, and I, could just, I could just, as I was talking to him for probably about two hours, two hours, I, was just, I just saw the chains all over this young man. And we're talking that things chains so thick. And, I, and then I, I, I got, I said, Lord, you're, you are just, Revealing things to me, Lord. You are, are telling me that I need more power, that I, I need more Jesus, even in my life. Like, you know, I got a phone call, and normally I won't answer it, but for whatever reason, I could not stop myself from answering it. It was a Friday night, and, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I got to, you know, do this and that, and it was another guy on the phone. And just, uh, I know sometimes we think it's mental, and, yeah, sometimes it's a little bit of those things going on, you know, but it's, it's just the, the Lord shows you the spiritual part of it. 
the spiritual part. And of course, we know the devil and his demons, they'll capitalize on anything, especially mental illness. And that's why, even more so, we have to engage in the right battle. But we have to engage. You know, recently, I don't know if you guys heard uh, or saw that, that, that show, 2020. My wife calls it Vente Vente. You guys ever seen that one? Yeah, Vente Vente is on, okay. And she likes watching it just to kind of keep up on what's going on and stuff. But anyways, there's an interview of, uh, of the mother of one of the Columbine killers. I don't know if you guys saw it, Dylan Klebold. He was one of the two killers who on April 20th, 1999, murdered 12 students, one teacher, and then, you know, they turned the gun on themselves and they committed suicide. And as they're, you know, they're showing the, the show, the psychologists are there and, and the mom is there speaking out for the first time. They're trying to kind of find out or discover why, why do these things happen? Why do these things happen? What can we do to prevent such a thing? And, uh, you know, they're talking about all this stuff. But the thing that just kind of like captured my attention and at the same time broke my heart was when the interviewer asked the mom, uh, she said, do you believe in evil? And, and the mom said, I don't think so. I don't think I believe in evil. And then she asked the, the, the counselor, the psychologist, uh, the same question. And the psychologist said, evil is a spiritual term. It doesn't have any legal or behavioral meaning, so I stay away from it. And, and, and then you wonder why these things continue to happen at an accelerating rate. Because they're sending people to psychologists and counselors and giving them medication when they should be going to God. There is evil. And it does have behavioral implications. We need to go to the Lord. We need to know what we're up against. Evil entities, it's a spiritual term, yes. And it has big time behavioral ramifications. You know, we need to be aware that in the final analysis that the only answer, his name is Jesus. You guys, and I, I'm telling you, it's him. Not a, a vague, you know, entity, distant deity. It's very personal. He's a person. And, and you got to open up your heart to him. He will set you free. I don't know if you've ever felt impotent over evil, but I, I would at the same time say, if you've ever been in that situation, it doesn't have to stay that way. I want to encourage you guys, and I'm talking to myself, you guys, let's draw near to God than we've ever been. Let's draw near to Him. Let's ask God to give us Power over unclean spirits. In Mark chapter 6, verse 7, it says, He gave them power over unclean spirits. And most importantly, I want to encourage you to pray, 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 and ask the Lord to deal with those demons that are doing so much damage in our family and in our, our ministry, in our country. You guys, it's not too late. 
You know, it's interesting as you look back in history, this is uh, crazy. I, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but you know how the archaeologists, they go and they dig up all these things and sometimes they dig up skulls, you know, and I was thinking about showing you guys a picture of this, but I'm like, nah, I probably don't want to see a skull, you know, but they have all these skulls with holes on the top. Have you guys ever seen those pictures? They're, those skulls are bored holes in the top. It was a practice of ancient civilization called a trepanation because they believed that if you bore a hole in the top of the skull, that would allow the demon to escape the body. Think about that. How awful. And they had the exorcists of the day who claimed to be able to cast out demons. Uh, it was so prevalent that eventually they established what they called an order of exorcists. It was Jews, it was pagans, and they had all these elaborate incantations and spells and magical rites and formulas. But what did Jesus do? First he said, shut up. <laughs> and then he said, get out. Get out. And when God, he starts to develop that faith inside of us, we can say the same thing. Get out. Get out of my house. Get out of my life. In Jesus' name, the blood of the cross, we command you to get out. And we see the book of Acts. That's what Paul did. We need to do that. It's not in the boring of holes on heads or some formula or incantation. The power is in Jesus. He's who we need. I mean, he has the mission for us. He is the one who would teach us the truth in the world of lies. He's the one that can defeat every single demon that has been holding you down. He will heal us. Look at verse 29. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. And so he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. You know, talking about drawing near to Jesus, I tell you what, just read the Bible, man. This is cool. I don't know about you, but I get blessed. Man, look at the Lord. Look at all the things he's doing, right? I mean, wherever he was, there was ministry, serving, calling, teaching, casting, caring. In this case, it was Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, Peter was married, in spite of the fact that some might tell you otherwise. Uh, Peter was not the first pope. <laughs> He was married. He had a wife right here. He had a mother-in-law, and he probably even liked her. I mean, it was amazing, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, and so, uh, you know, you read 1 Corinthians 9, 5. Peter was married. And so anyways, uh, looking at the way that Jesus heals uh, his mother-in-law, what, what do you guys find? Nothing too big, nothing too small. Maybe there's someone here today, you got a fever, toothache, whatever, a headache. You know what I mean? The Lord can heal you, Right. And I, and I love the way he did it. Hey, look how he healed her. It says in verse 31, he took her by the hand. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, he just took her by the hand and, and he lifted her up. I mean, I just think it's so awesome. That's what God will do with you. That's what God, maybe you're here today. And, you know, forgive me for spiritualizing it too much. But you have an infection. A spiritual infection that's been holding you down. Down. You're not... The man you should be. You're not even proper. 
And the Lord is just here in his love. And he just wants to take you by the hand. Lift you up. What for? So you could serve him. That's what, he, that's what she did. I mean, it says right there, and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and what did she do? She served them. You know, undoubtedly this would indicate that she made him homemade tortillas. There is no <laughs> doubt about that. I mean, seriously, what's she going to do? I mean, she gets up and she starts serving. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, she's old school. There's no doubt about it. They're hard to find nowadays, but she cooked up a storm in the kitchen. Like my mother-in-law, I remember her, man. She didn't measure anything. I mean, she just, a lot of this, a little bit of this, a sprinkle of that, a dash of that, a pinch here. And it was just amazing. Why? Because she made it with love. That's what this lady did. I, I just know that's the way it went down. You know, because what ends up happening is when God saves you, he saves you to serve him. There's this great Scottish family. It says their motto was saved to serve. Saved to serve. You see, Jesus heals us and helps us that we can then be used by him to heal others and help others. And some of you here, you should be pastors. You are pastors. You are ordained by God. Your servants, your leaders your teachers, and your chefs. I like those. <laughs> your cooks. Thank you, Jesus, for those who make homemade tortillas. <laughs> you know, a little side note here. Don't you think it's kind of cool that Peter and Andrew brought Jesus to their house? I think that's kind of cool. You know, after service, they brought him home to their house. It's a good example for us. You know, there are some people, they go to church and they leave Jesus there. <laughs> and then they're arguing on the way out. I, 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 just, I watch them because we have cameras out there. I'm all, oh, check this one out. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but it's so funny, man. It's like, okay, went to church. We got, you know, met with Jesus. We'll leave him there because we're going to go home. We're going to do our own thing, right? No, invite him over. You know what ends up happening? When you see the Lord like this, then the guest eventually becomes the guest of honor. And before you know it, the guest in your home, if you let him, becomes the head of your home. That's what happens when you invite Jesus over. Like when Jesus was invited into the, the boat of Peter, you know, the Lord invited himself. He went into the boat. And uh, for a while there, Jesus was, uh, he was kind of along for the ride, but eventually he became captain of the boat. That's what the Lord, he wants to do. You guys... Don't just come to church on Sundays or Thursdays or whatever and go home and you're a different person. No, you know, be real. I'm, we're not perfect, but, but we should be proper. And you go home, I tell you what, invite Jesus into your home. Maybe read your Bible with your family or, or pray with them or, you know, watch uh, something that's edifying. Let, that'll lift them up. That'll teach the kids. If you have young kids that are in junior high or high school, start showing them uh, videos on apologetics, on you know the reasons for the faith. Because when they go to college, when they get older, they get all these questions, and then they fall away. Because what? Mom and dad, they're always watching really nothing, nothing helpful on television. I don't know. The, the Lord will show you, but I really do pray you invite the Lord into your house. Jesus is so cool. 
calling apostles, putting together the A-team, or, or teaching the people, or casting out demons, or healing the sick. And then it all kind of comes together in verse 32. And at evening, when the sun had set, they, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. And, you know, I don't know. Any of you guys, you ever get tired at the end of the day? You're like, sweetheart, not now. I know. <laughs> I don't want to talk. I just want to go to sleep. I mean, I'm sure the Lord was tired. I'll tell you what. If you teach, they say it's one of the most draining things you could do. And imagine casting out demons. We've done that a couple of times. I mean, it's like, you know, but it didn't matter. The Sabbath, the sunset, the whole city, it comes to him. And Jesus doesn't turn anybody away. And he's healing and he's touching and he's casting out demons. And, and so you're here and you're like, well, then why doesn't the Lord heal us all now? You know, some people will look at this and they say, well, I don't get it. Why not now? You're missing the point. You see, when Jesus was here, he was uh, present in his Shekinah glory in a way that, yeah, he wants to be present in his church, but unfortunately, because we're all messed up, we're not. But th there will be a day when he's present in his Shekinah glory in that full manifest way. You know when that's going to be? Heaven. There's no more sickness, suffering, death, disease, devil, demons, none of that in heaven. The point is not that, oh, I'm going to go to Jesus because I got a fever. I'm going to go to Jesus because I have this illness. Yeah, go to him. That's fine. But at the end of the day, you got to go to Jesus so that you can love him and, you know, not just receive, but believe in him. Because the worst thing of all, the worst thing of all is not. Not the, the sickness of your body. The worst thing of all is the sickness of your soul. It's called sin that separates you from God. It's a sin that Jesus died for on the cross. He died for your sins. That's the worst thing of all. The worst thing of all, not being, you know, battling demons or being oppressed, harassed by them. I understand that happens. But the worst thing of all would be living with demons in hell forever. Jesus died to defeat the devil. And, and, and what he's doing today, in one sense, is kind of like, and I don't know if you can visualize it, but not to rub it in, but I'm so excited. I'm going to go to Israel pretty soon. I'm going to go to the Lake of Galilee. I'm going to walk by there, the same place that Jesus walked. And hopefully next time you guys can come with us. But um, he's kind of like walking. He's like walking through here, kind of. And he's saying, follow me, follow me, hey, follow me, follow me. That's what Jesus is saying right here, right now. What are you going to do? Leave your nets, follow him.